Welcome to Elite Rugby SNC Podcast, the best podcast talking all things rugby and strength and conditioning. At Elite Rugby SNC, we provide athletes with strength and conditioning programs that provides you with everything you need to become a beast and take your game to the next level. No matter what stage of the year or season, Elite Rugby SNC has a program for you. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. G'day, Ben. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you, Kieran. Um, how are you on this Sunday morning in Canberra? Yeah, going really well, and especially going well because the Brumbies had a really good performance last night in Super Rugby, so that was really cool to be at the stadium and and see a really good quality rugby game. There were some, you know, head scratching moments, but um, it's just you can't beat live rugby, and I think everyone needs to get out there if they can and and go support their local rugby union or rugby league teams, and and definitely go out there when you see the professionals play as well. Yeah, I thought um, it was fantastic, actually. It was great first live game in a little while. Um, just the skill sets that you get to see off the ball and the people working in position to receive the football or actually make um, defensive efforts. Uh, you can't beat it live. I was quite high up in the stadium and uh, uh, where I like it, that way I've got a view of the whole game and it was, yeah, fantastic. It was a beautiful evening and, yeah, I can't wait for the next game of football, hopefully, um, Actually, it'll be today, then I get to watch. That's uh, even better. I think well, one thing is when you do go to a live game is the preparation of the players before, um, you know, playing. Like they, they're going out there in their own time. I think it's quite unique to Rugby Union of going out there and doing your own individual warm-up and doing all those skill-specific drills that you need to do. And then you come together as a team in you know local rugby or rugby union uh, rugby league afl doesn't matter what it is we sort of get um i don't know as coaches we want to control everything where we should be allowing players to figure out what works for them on game day and how to best prepare their body so i think that's really cool if you were an athlete get there quite early and see how you know lenny katow or darcy swain or andy muirhead prepares themselves for a game and then try and replicate that for you, but adding your unique spice to it as well. Yeah, I'll probably put some caveats on that. Um, so at that level, each individual has little work-ons that they need to do. And when you're creating a game day warm-up, you do actually allow personal time, even at, um, say, the under 19 level, helping SG Ball, allow them four minutes of their own time to do their own thing, their own skills and their own physical prep. Uh, knowing that they need to do that. But when it's time to come into a team, as you were watching probably both the Reds and the Brumbies warm up last night, they switch on as a team. It just gives people a chance for them to physically and psychologically switch into a team mode. Um, so it's really important as well. But also don't extend huge amounts of time to it. A lot of people actually, I've cut away a lot of um, pre-game activations at certain times and, all of that type of stuff and really try to condense it because a lot of people start mentally playing the game before the game's there. So the length of time that you use for that has to be measured and estimated so that you're not wasting uh, physical and psychological energy too early as well. Mm, 100%. And yeah, if, if you're that player that does find themselves getting caught up in the moment and, and switching on too early, then um, it's time to sort of experiment on ways to get you to switch off. And, you know, relax a little bit in the change rooms if it's listening to, you know, more mellow type of music instead of the, you know, hype up type music and getting pumped and going like maybe it's something else. Or um, even talking to Shannon Mateo last um, podcast episode, she likes to just mellow out and watch some Netflix in the change room because she finds herself getting too switched on too early. And that's just not a good thing for her. Her anxiety builds up and then she just doesn't is not able to play at her best ability. So she likes to just relax, sit upside down and watch Netflix. So maybe that's something you try in the change room, who knows, but yeah, you definitely don't want to be switched on too early and mentally uh, fatigue yourself before the game has even started. Yeah. Uh, it's the old inverted use. So uh, excitement levels come up to a peak. And then if you're too excited, you actually performance drops down. So you've got to find a way to push yourself up or bring yourself back down so that you're in that optimal zone and play around with training. That's what training's about. Play around, 
pre-training to work out what to do so that you understand and use your trials. So by the time you get to your competition, you should have it nailed. Mm, 100%. So today we're going to talk about what's going on with us because outside of Elite Rugby SNC, we do do other stuff as well, if you didn't know that. So Ben's currently working with the Raiders SG Ball, and I'm currently working with Eastlake AFL Football Club here in Canberra. Yes, I know, AFL. It's, it's very different. I know it's not rugby, but hey, I'm really enjoying the opportunity and something different. So first off, Ben, how is your SNC coaching going with the SG Ball Canberra Raiders? Yeah, um, quite good, actually. I'm really enjoying it. Um, obviously, I work in a different environment through the day. So I work with uh, a tactical group, so uh, elite law enforcement. So um, basically similar to the commandos in a way. They're quite good. They've got um, a good rugby uh, league or union team culture. They're strong, fit, but super intelligent, super motivated and really good decision makers. So working with under-19s, we're... Um, they haven't got the maturity, um, the knowledge and the life experience. It's been quite good to actually pass on some of that. Um, and after, you know, it's been 20 years of rugby union to help rugby league's been uh, quite good for me to experience something. And um, it's, to be honest, it's a simpler game to prepare for and probably uh, less moving parts, which is quite enjoyable in a way as well, because because there's less moving parts, you haven't got your unit sessions of um, forwards and backs, you haven't got scrums, lineouts, and walls. You can simplify down to the physical attributes that they need a lot more. Um, so I'm enjoying that aspect as well. How's your AFL going? What are you getting out of that? Yeah, it's, sorry, it's Aussie rules. Yeah, Aussie rules. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I learned as well. As soon as I say AFL, they, they're all thinking the big product of the professional realm i'm like oh no, i mean aussie rules and yeah it's, it's funny but no it's going well like i think i didn't realize how sort of uh, similar the culture is with with the boys you know it's it's very similar to of that of rugby boys it's you know getting around each other it's plenty of banter it's it's enjoying training but it's also enjoying the um events outside of training as well so that's been really good because there's been a couple other sports i've worked with and it hasn't been that that same culture or community aspect um compared to rugby or afl so i'm really enjoying that it's it's going well like added all the the spice and flavor that i've learned over the years with working with uh, rugby union into afl and the main difference i tell people with um aussie rules to, to rugby union they afl players just don't need to be big everything else is still relatively the same. Like I'm still teaching him how to run fast, jump, hop, land, change the direction. Um, we're really focusing on, you know, being explosive over that first five, 10 meters and then able to keep accelerating over, um, you know, 40 to 60 meters because in a game at AFL, you do need to be able to get back or get forward really, really quickly. And then it's also doing a lot of um, MAS running as well because looking at their training um, first when we got back to preseason, it was a lot of, um, you know, fairly simple drills in small spaces. So they weren't getting um, their fast exposure to the high, um, high running. So I was like, all right, sweet. That's what we're going to be doing. And now they're getting a lot of running in, but they're not getting it again at high volumes and at high speed. So that's where I've come in and, and done that with the MAS. If it's 10 seconds on 10 off or 10 on 20 off. And now we're getting into, eight on 12 off over a certain distance and there's three different groups and it's quite funny because the way that we program mas is having three different speeds um, based off your you know your time trial what whatever that is could be a bronco or an afl to two kilometer they they're not used to lining up in a line and saying you know blitz at the start you know when we get off the line to be quick or knowing what a try line is or anything like that or what's offside and onside so they don't know that and i'm using those terms in we, um, from rugby over at AFL, uh, so that's been pretty <laughs> cool. But, yeah, it's pretty much been the same, but it's just teaching them how to be fast, how to project themselves, but also how to train properly in the gym. That's something that they haven't, in, in my experience from talking to them, they, they haven't had the experience of knowing how to prepare themselves for an AFL game. So my unique way of, of programming, um, as athletes would know, if they've joined Elite Rugby SNC or have trained with me in the past, it's, it's nothing you know, too special or anything like that, but it's just maximizing our time in the gym. And a lot of these boys would do a, you know, push, pull legs type of split or some sort of bodybuilding program. And it's worked for them, but 
I think they're seeing the um, benefits of training a different way and actually not being too fatigued for training the next day. Yeah, yeah, that's probably really the the trick there. You've you've mentioned the culturally the language difference. Um, yeah, onside, offside. Uh, there's no such thing in AFL. Um, and again, the yeah, it, it sounds pretty similar to what I've gone through. As in that they've probably did a lot of long distance stuff. Did they for their conditioning? Where eight hundreds, four hundreds, two hundreds. Yeah. So yeah, the the SG Ball or the Junior Raiders organization had a history of doing that, and then I came along and just went, all right, time trials, short, sharp type work. Um, we'll do 15 seconds on off. We'll do a lot of repeat speed. We'll do a lot of acceleration work and a lot of acceleration with bands and change of directions under load, um, sled pushes, so forth. And all our shuttle work is pretty short, sharp, but, um, you know, for long periods of time. And I've just purely worked on acceleration. Um, funnily enough, they seem to be going a lot better in contact because they can accelerate through contact um and they're able to keep up with the game and that's where like doing 400s and 200s yeah cool you make them hurt they feel like they're building lactic acid running capacity but if i've got a big 110 kilo bloke but he doesn't like to accelerate because through his pre-season he does four or five in a in a training session versus in a game where he has to do 60 like I haven't prepared him. So I've changed it to a lot of really short, sharp acceleration, repeat efforts with short breaks. And um, yeah, the highest availability, we're going all right. And the guys are just enjoying it because their conditioning feels like football. Mm. <clears throat> Sometimes it's, yeah, it's taking out, it's harder for me to organise. Like it's a lot of work to actually get the groups and get all of that compared to say run around 400 and here's your times that you've got to reach. I find that that's probably, um, I hate to say the term lazy coaching, but it's uh, not taking advantage of your time and sessions drag out. So I've really made them short, sharp, you know, little top-ups is what we do all the time. Like the end of, back end of every warm-up is a speed session because, you know, nothing beats speed in um, contact sport because they run away from contact and score tries or to stop mm. people from scoring tries. Yeah, my, my AFL always love to go for long distance runs and we they do extras on, on a Saturday. They do have the option of doing my program, which um, quite a few of them do, but a lot of them just like to head out and go for a, between five to, to 10K run. And that's okay if they're just, you know, topping up their meters, uh, the sorry, the kilometers throughout the week, which is fine because once it comes to game day, they're actually running between, you know, maybe 10 to 15 kilometers, if not more, depending on your position. So they do need to get that that volume up in the legs. But one thing I've had to educate them on is, is just like you said, is working over those shorter distances at high speeds because that's what the game is actually about. You know, I don't need to teach them or train them how to jog. They definitely know how to do that, but they need to be able to run over a certain distance, um, pretty fast, really efficient, and be able to rest a little bit and then do it again for um, multiple reps and a couple of sets as well. Yeah, beautiful. Excellent. So have you found much difference besides everything that we just talked about now, but is there any other sort of differences between the two codes um, in their respected uh, strength conditioning programs? Um, I've, I've actually in rugby league, I would be a lot more modular. Um, think people are more similar than different. So, so the middles were your bigger units. Um, uh, going through, I guess, the age group stuff, if people are big, they've always been picked. Um, doesn't mean they're beneficial. And they're slowly learning with the six again rule that they need a lot more conditioning. So it's been trying to educate the middle guys that they have to be explosive, fast and move and have higher levels of conditioning because, you know, uh, they go, oh, I might only play 10, 15 minutes, then I get a rest and I'm back on or 20 minutes. I go, I just had those conversations. Okay, three guys get injured. Um, how long will you have to play? Oh, the whole game. How about we get the conditioning able to play the whole game? Because if we need you to, that's what's going to happen. So just trying to educate them around that. Um, in terms of different um, rugby league players in general aren't as big and they aren't as strong. There are, but that, what they do have is a higher aerobic and a higher work capacity and probably 
a bit more strength endurance just because of the way the game is. Um, and why aren't they as big? Well, they don't have scrums and rucks and stuff where they have to, have, where body mass is really, really important. They have more collision-based stuff. And even with um, their contact in D, um, they, they probably don't need as much strength because they're always looking for dual contact they, where they can for those when they've got to take on a big person running at them, they try and look for dual contact. Um, so the key's probably been the change in philosophy around speed, getting them to do a lot more speed and getting them comfortable with doing a lot more high speed meters. I think they've had a real fear of people will do hamstrings if we run them fast. So yeah, yeah, they will if you do it erratically <laughs> and not planned and build it up over time, which I think they had. So when you're taking people from doing 800s to 200s and you add speed work, yeah, they'll get hurt because you haven't trained them to run fast. You've trained them to run far at an okay speed. Yeah. Mm. No, that's awesome. And it's, it's really good insight into sort of the differences between if you were coming over from one sport to the other as a coach or an athlete, um, knowing how to sort of prepare yourself the best throughout the week. Yeah. I'd probably one thing to add is uh, run tech. The rugby league guys had had, uh, had experienced zero run tech um, ever. And if you watch the NRL versus union, you can see, the running mechanics is quite different and um, yeah, they just haven't valued that until now. So that's something that I'm really trying to hammer home. Okay. That's awesome. So yeah, um, differences between uh, for me in terms of programming, I would say it's just reminding myself that these boys don't need to be big. So it's, it's probably just need to be strong and powerful and how can I make them more robust for AFL? Because there are, they're running a ridiculous amount, you know, and I need to um, prepare them that, for that and also expose them to, you know, sprints. So on the, on the Tuesday, we, we do around sort of our longer sort of sprints. So you're looking between like 30 to 60 meters. And then on the Thursday, we're doing uh, like a flying 10 as well. So we're doing that, that type of stuff, long distance, short distance in the gym. Um, I would say it's focusing on, just that whole body approach. So two whole body days plus an extra upper body day for them. Cause you just got to remind yourself they are doing a lot of running. So I've got to make sure that I'm not just doing all these heavy leg sessions. So that's sort of how I'm programming. And then for some boys who um, have, have reached out, they're doing some extra power um, stuff as well, because AFL does have bursts of power in there. So they're going to make sure that they're good in contact and able to drive through the contact, get that ball exposed so they can handball or kick to the next um, open, um, teammate of theirs but in, in terms of like i'm probably not utilizing heavy back squats or um too much heavy deadlifts it's more i'd say some, some unilateral stuff i probably am more towards the trap bar deadlift than a back a barbell back squat and just making sure that they're also getting some really good um posterior chain work as well so if if i know they haven't been doing the program the whole group will do some um, nordics on a tuesday and then we might do some um harrop curls on a thursday or do some sort of chinese plank or just something as well um just so i, I know that they're getting some extra load for those um, hamstring glutes and we're also doing some um foot intrinsic stuff after training as well so they'll uh, walk 20 meters on their tippy toes on the heels inside of the feet outside of the feet and just um shoes and socks are off and it's just sort of a good way to cool down the body but also getting some nice uh feet gains as we as i like to say yeah it's uh it's really interesting that the way that you're doing the gym i've um in uh the pre-season i've probably had it a lot more load going through their lower body but at the moment in season just because of the amount of contact that they have in a game and in training sessions there's a seems to be a lot more contact I've gone to a lot a lower body session and an upper body session but what i have introduced is a lot more pliers so a lot more single leg pliers a lot more dynamic pliers sled pushes um even single leg box squats so guys are getting up to just so where your your waist between the bottom of your sternum to your belly button they're able to single leg box jump that height now whether they're a back or a forward. So it's just getting that leg power development versus um, uh, where they just used to use lifts. Talking about, you talked about deadlifts here. Um, anytime that I've actually had running sport athletes, um, when I've given them choices, and I like giving um, the more advanced athletes choices, they only choose deadlifts once. Right? And then they go out and suffer all week with their lower back 
and their um, posterior tra chain a lot of the time, mainly their lower back or training week, and they will never choose it again. So trap bar, yep. Traditional deadlifts, I wouldn't use it for a running sport athlete just because I've seen them suffer after they do that. So mm. that's something I haven't done for many years with a running sport athletes. Yeah, and that, that's, where, that's where I like the trap bar, just to, to raise it up more um, from the ground. And I feel like it's more of a similar to a squat. It's just the loads obviously coming from the ground and had some good results, but um, I'll definitely keep that in mind. And it's, it's great advice as well if you are dealing with some running, a lot high distance running sports, um, just see experiment you know do they like it do maybe um switch it up to another exercise that's still getting the same um force application that we want out of that movement yeah i guess for the rugby league um athletes out there or people that are interested i'm i'm happy to make um just download some like the sessions at lower body in season and um uh, what we're doing at lower and upper body and if they email or get in contact with um, us, Kieran, um, we can, can send it out. So, or maybe we can even uh, find another way. I'll let you work that out. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely cool. slide into our DMs or visit our website and contact us for our email address. Um, or we can easily just promote that and, and, and put it out there to the world as well. Yep. Perfect. So moving on, um, we've pretty much talked about the preseason, really what it looked like. But something I'll add on to is, as well from what you said was I've definitely done a lot more plyometric stuff in our warm-up. Um, as well for the <laughs> AFL boys. Um, at the start, we the way the warm-up split is we have five minutes or around five to eight minutes of general mobility, and then they would go do their skills prep. Then they would come back for me for the plyometrics and more um, run tech and uh, sprinting. What I did found was I was going over time. So I was like, oh, how am I going to adjust this so that they're, um, I'm getting good exposure to them in the warm-up? but not going over time. So I've now got the, the ownership on them to do all that mobility stuff that we did at the start, you know, your basic hammy sweeps, lunges, sumo squats, leg swings, calf bumps, all prior to they pick up the footy and start kicking before training. And then when they come see me, we're straight into, uh, you know, jump, land, plyometrics, change direction, and then they go to their skills aspect, come back and do their um, run tech, change the direction uh, more sharply, and then into our sprinting as well. And, I think it's, it's something that I've experimented with and put them into the deep end. Like we're doing a lot of um, single leg jump and lands. We're doing a lot of pogos and then we're doing some double hops to a side jump, heaps of lateral jumps. And I did sort of hold my tongue a bit. I was like, no, oh, I was just a bit too much. But the way that I put it in, I slowly sprinkled it in and slowly sprinkled in sort of the intensity and, and the difficultest, uh, difficult nature of the exercise into it. And yeah, I've just been surprised how well they've um, bounced back. And a, a couple of boys were sort of getting some shin splints, but we reduced their load and they're, they're back to normal and they're able to tolerate the load that's going through. So it's it's pretty cool what you can um, prescribe athletes that's quite challenging and how fast they do adapt to that. And then you start reaping the rewards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, a massive one for the single leg dynamic stuff, even to the point of um, you're talking about your mobility there um, uh, on game day, uh, down to two two minutes, three minutes of mobility. I'll do That's literally it. You can get a lot done in that period of time. Um, a lot people tend to go a little bit longer because uh, it's for the coach's anxiety, not the players, so they drag it out. <laughs> so you're going, oh, I've got to tick this off. I've got to get tick this off. But really, if you make their hips mobile, make their calves and give them some good activation and stability to the point of with leg swings, don't let them hold onto a partner. Mm. So we're, we're balanced. And now I've got big, big powerful units that can do leg swings backwards and forwards without holding onto anything. It, what am I getting? A bit of mobility? No, what I'm really getting is stability through that leg and balance. Mm. That's what I really want. If you look at it, most leg swings when they're done, they're done so passively, they don't do anything anyway. So you might as well actually put it on one leg so that you, you get something out of it, balance. Mm. But the point of, uh, I like how you said that they bounce back after pliers. I, I don't know whether you meant that as a joke or not. But it's, he knows. Um, but people need to be challenged. A lot of the time as coaches and SNC coaches, you're worried. So there's a good theory out there to improve people. They've got to fail at the exercise 20 to 30% of the time. Otherwise, they're not learning anything. If it looks perfectly neat and the movement's completely fine, 
um, you haven't challenged them enough. Like it can't be too often where they lose confidence. But what you've probably done through a bit of self-discovery is that you push it a little bit. Amazingly enough, they reorganize themselves and they're okay for the next time. You've actually just increased their coordination. Hundred mm, percent, and I'm really just looking at it as well as making sure that 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 lower shank of the leg is really strong and robust. And I know if they they haven't been doing the gym program, um, that they're getting enough load and and stimulus in this warm up um, multiple times throughout the week, and getting a lot of horizontal force as well, which I, I love, and I think they're they're seeing the benefits of that as well. Yeah, it's funny. Sport is uh, yeah, you, yours has probably got a bit more vertical, but um. Mm. My sport is horizontal. Horizontal power is good. Vertical, yeah, you get a bit of displacement for running, and we'll probably talk about that later with calves. But horizontal power is um, it's what makes people go forward with momentum. Mm. And these these boys get a lot of their vertical stuff throughout their training and the drills, so it's something I don't really need to touch upon. I need to warm them up for that, but I'm letting leaving that for uh, the main coaches to teach and um, prescribe that as well, because they're, they're quite good at what they, they do. So I'm like, sweet, I don't need to touch it. You go do that. I'll do some more horizontal stuff. Yeah. Train what's missing, not what's overdone. Mm. So have you come across any um, sort of issues during your time at with rugby league? Is there, you know, a certain training style, as we alluded to before, or stuck in certain ways, or um, the support team? Is there any been any um, issues that you haven't experienced um, before, or have experienced and and, and did solve um, during your time or your time there at the at the Raiders? Yeah, I've been really lucky. The head coach Pete Narapoli, he's been a full time coach before, and he is a PE teacher, um, so it's been fantastic. Like, yeah, it's it's almost like we're on the same wavelength. He'll ring up and go, what do you think of this? And I'll answer something. He goes, oh, that's exactly what I was going to try and get. Like, it's been fantastic. Um, Probably the biggest difference is uh, because some of them are contracted when they're quite young um, and some of the bigger guys. uh, Yeah, it's taken a lot to change their habits because they're so – because they've had training sessions that are so demanding before in terms of volume that they're always hold back a little bit because they're so worried. So just teaching them to accelerate and just it's the usual conversations with a few people like, cool, mate, you're really big, but you're not explosive. So um, big teams aren't really scared of you. Like you're pretty easy to manage because you run slow into contact. So you're going to have to be really explosive. Um, And just pouring on that we value repeat efforts. And and if one person doesn't do it, we'll all do it until they Everyone gets it. So, mm. so in making them go, you're letting down your mates by not putting in repeat efforts. Um, so just in retraining some habits of um, uh, every rep is important. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, the only difference. But that's no difference from <clears throat> forming new teams and new standards, really. Yeah, 100%. I think for me, it's been a big learning curve to understand, you know, the culture and the terminology used in AFL. And I, it's, I still scratch my head. I'm like, what do you mean by that? <coughs> Which has been quite um, interesting. But I'd say the main issues that I've come across is probably, um, should we be doing this? Or should we be doing that? Or we did our two-kilometer time trial and the coaches were worried because certain players weren't meeting um, good benchmarks. And I was like, okay, sweet. It's only the first week of preseason training. Calm down. We're, we're good. And we did our last, uh, re- most recent two kilometer time trial on uh, last week. So on Tuesday and Thursday and saw some really good times and saw, you know, on average around a 45 second improvement, which is, which is huge um, to, to be honest. And some of these boys who were already had really good times, got better times, which was awesome to see. So it's, it, it was it was just trusting that process of, yeah, we're not going to go for those long distance runs. We're not going to do the 400 or 800 meter efforts because I don't just want them to get good at a test. I need them to be able to be fit and ready for the game of Aussie rules. And that's what I had to sort of show and, and do with these players and show the athlete, uh, the coaches as well. It's like this mass running that we're doing, this is going to help 
when they do go um, do their time trial again. It might not look the same, but it's, I've seen some really good results of not actually doing the test and then redoing the test and getting some really good results. So that's been sort of a, an area that's been quite cool to see and see these players get some really good times. And um, we're going to continue to use this MAS throughout the whole year, obviously prescribe at different loads and, and reps and sets, but that's been cool. I think another one is, is, is working with a new um, physio. And it's, it's been really interesting to learn from, from him and understand what does it take to get an AFL player back to um, performing again, which, is, which has been awesome. And he's been a, a great help. And then it's also like the rehab group, you know, a lot of them will just sort of do their training and that's sort of it. It's like, sweet, you train for 45 minutes, the team's still going you got to still do some stuff as well. So that's, I finally got some equipment over the last couple of weeks. So they'll be doing some off feet conditioning um, to the side while the team's still training. So that the main group can look to the side and say, Oh, you know, Timmy over there is still working hard to get back to it. That's awesome to see. So it's slowly adding those things that I've done previously um, with rugby over here into AFL and making sure that the boys are still working hard if they are in, are in that rehab group. And it's also, utilizing that time in the rehab group to teach them how to run properly, you know, because it's sort of been seen that they need to do a lot of volume and yeah, they have been doing a lot of volume because we've got some GPS trackers been doing a lot of volume, but they haven't been doing a lot of quality, you know, reps of slowly exposing themselves back to high speed running and cutting, uh, change direction, cutting fast, controlling their body in different directions as well, but also making sure that utilizing their run tech mechanics and then using that for when they go back to um, training as well. Because I don't need them to do a whole lot of volume jogging. I don't need to teach them how to jog. They know how to do that. And they can do that at the end. If, if we really need to top up their sort of Ks to sort of get that similar to what they need to do for a whole training session. But it's really coming back to those run mechanics, good change direction and making sure they're getting quality reps, not just doing um, sort of nonsense work as I, as, as I like to say. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'll go, probably explain some people that might be listening that don't understand MAS um, and the theory there. So you, you've done your time trial, you're prescribing it a uh, higher percentages than they did the time trial. So what you've done is you've given them the ability to run faster, right? And then they have short recoveries. So part of actually getting good time trials is the ability to run fast. So if we just run slowly, yeah, okay, cool. We'll, we'll slowly build up our time trial. But you've given them the mechanics and the cadence and the calf conditioning, hip flexor conditioning, hamstring conditioning, uh, reactive speed work in their calves to run faster. So the limiting factor um, before could have been you know, the, the connective tissue or their tissue tolerance to higher speed running, not their aerobic. So now you've given them tissue tolerance to higher speed running so that the limitation is more the aerobic system rather than the connective tissue or the soft tissue involved with that. So that's something people need to probably understand. You've given them the ability to run faster. So the limitation on their time trial before wasn't their aerobic, it was their tissue tolerance to running fast. Hundred mm, percent, but the AFL boys would like to say, "Oh, it was the grass." You know, the grass was too long, so that's why my time was uh, slow and I was shit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Never but the, the, responsibility. Yeah, this, this time around the grass was shorter and it was a much fast track, so they'll probably put it down to that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> so, what I've got from this first part of the conversation really is our programs at elite rugby SNC are suitable for both rugby union and rugby league athletes. And to be honest, if you were an AFL athlete out there looking for a different type of way of training, then a program can be really suited for you as well. Obviously we, we can change some little things to meet your demands, but I feel like we've got a really sound product here and it doesn't really matter what sort of team athlete sort of sport that you play with a bit of contact we have a program to meet your um, your sport, your goals, and, and and the demands of what you want. Yeah. Um, well, the key component is it's designed to make you available for every game and training session. Right? We're trying to get you there, but also then have the physical qualities to dominate. So that's basically what we're looking at doing. So our first goal is to work, uh, organise the training so that you are – it's 
spread over a sensible way, increased in a sensible um, manner, and that it is targeting areas that tend to break down so that they don't, but then give you the physical attributes that you need in a team sport, which is explosion, uh, explosive work, really fast, repeat efforts, the ability to um, have strong, stable joints and to display the power that you've created in the gym. Mm. That's what it is. And that's what a good program does. So it's nothing more fancy than really good organisation based on many years of experience. I think the cool thing is where we, we, we still program the same way. Me and yourself, there's obviously little differences that we like to do, but yeah, and we, we can debate. go to... Yeah, we, we, we can go to different sports and still have some some good results early on because we're, we're, we've only been there not too long and we're already seeing some really good results. So, yeah, it just shows that what we're doing actually does work and um, we can sell you to a, a reasonable price as well. It's not going to cost you an arm or a leg. Hi, everyone. We just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC blog today. We provide free exclusive content every single week to our subscribers. You'll find our website link in our bio below. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to the episode. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Mm. Sneaky plug right there. Yeah. So, thank you, but yeah, it's a good one. So moving on to a topic that we want to sort of cover today, which was calf conditioning. A common theme you see on social media these days is performing a lot of isometrics for that calf complex. And when we talk about that calf complex, you're looking at your gastroc, your soleus, and obviously that Achilles tendon as well around there and, and all those little muscles. Yeah, as well. Even put intrinsic muscles as well. That's mm. all part of the puzzle. Mm. So we put that as the, the complex because it is quite complex. So isometrics have their place in performance, but... If you're only focusing on those isometrics, then you're missing a big piece of the puzzle. So let's talk about the term calf, or conditioning the calf muscles for athletic performance. What does this term mean to you, Ben? Yeah, so this is something really interesting. There's a fair bit of research lately. So whether you're jogging or sprinting, uh, the calf is under pretty similar load. It only goes up a little percentage in terms of um, the, the load that goes through your calf uh, moving from jogging to sprinting. Okay, so that means it's being used all the time. So uh, one of the most sensible ways to look at your calf is you know, people go, oh, poo-poo, total distance covered, all of that type of stuff. But it just gives it load of your calf. That's what it use, gets used for. So conditioning a calf is really important. What are you conditioning it for? So if you suddenly go out and do a lot of plyos and bounding, but you don't change the load of your field sessions, um, you end up with calf and Achilles problems. And there might be an inter international rugby team lately that's experienced that, that we all know about. Um, so it's, you know, it's sensible increasing of calf conditioning. So why do you want good calves? Well, you want the reactive component of the calf, which is the free energies, just say, as you come vertically, um, you hit your calf, uh, your foot on the ground, and it springs you back up. That lowers your contact time on the ground and that should help if you've actually got forward momentum to keep you sprinting. Now, the calf takes time as any group does. So you've probably got your soft, which is your contraction component um, of your calf. And what it does, it contracts so that the load can be spread onto the, um, the non-contractile tissue, such as your Achilles, your fascia and so forth. And it's trying to use a free energy from that to give you a spring. So your calf has to isometrically contract really quickly to um, eccentric information coming through. So, so a lot of the calf conditioning is moving from low level pliers and drilling. So you get that reactive uh, component and then building up some calf capacity, which is your running volume. And why isometrics are used probably in the gym is you're giving, think of anything eccentrically, you can put more load on that. Okay, so the idea is that, yep, we know that uh, isometric is what the calf is really craving for running mechanics. Really, really cool. Uh, but at all different ranges. And then the weight of a human comes into this component as well. The heavier the human is, the more load that's going through it. That's why you've got little light guys that probably never have a calf problem. You go up to some bigger props 
that type of stuff, they start having calf problems. And then you start looking at their roles. So if you're a, a prop or a second row, you've got serious amounts of isometric contractions within a scrum, then you've got to get out and run. Suddenly, the amount of work that you have to do is different. So you need to measure it probably isometrically, but then you, you recall and you bounce. So that's where the thing called the RSI comes into your uh, um, reactive speed index, which is where you come off a box onto a force plate and you jump up. If you haven't got that, you can get a thing called My Jump, which is an app, and you can actually film yourself and then you can work it out. Um, and then it's a repeatability such as skipping and drilling and then your acceleration work. So it's complex, but it's really, again, it has to be sensible and improvement. So how have you viewed calf condition? What methods have you put in place to assess that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's some really good points that you made. And it's not just isometrics. It's that whole spectrum of exercises. So the exercises that... It, it's hard it's, oh, it's hard to measure if you don't have all the equipment so with with, with me in terms of um, programming or with elite rugby snc we're really providing you with a whole range of different exercises so a big popular one we like to do is skipping you know something so basic just jumping up and down on the ground is getting some really good calf conditioning it's getting a nice little pop off the ground but it, it, it works quite well and I think that's a really big game changer to any of my programming over the last sort of three, four years. It's just adding in basic skipping after a movement prep in the gym, or it could be into your field training, you know, at some stage, like doing some skipping is it's just awesome to do. Yeah. I definitely add that in drilling, which is uh, the key component because um, drilling is all about vertical displacement and vertical, displacement type work where you've got your foot coming from above landing directly underneath you can so you can take advantage of biomechanically putting your foot in the right position to get the spring so it's mm -hmm. itching you that um and it's getting that conditioning um and i find drilling is fantastic for people just so they have um a bit of more of a major problem at least we can keep that calf reactive stiffness and conditioning going for when they go and start actually a lot more over ground running Mm, 100%. So skipping, drilling. And then uh, another one would be just basic, you know, single leg calf raises, you know, starting on a floor, putting onto a, a step, going down and all the way up, adding some external load as well, working a different tempo, or it could be a certain beats per minute as well is a great way to actually see more of your calf strength endurance, you know, and you can test that as well. And a good sort of metric we like to do. Um, when doing a car, single leg calf race test is if you can get 25 reps or above, if you've got some pretty damn good calves there, I would say. If you're scoring less and then you have a deficit between one leg to the other, then that needs to be addressed. Yeah. To give you an idea of the importance even at work inside the tactical world of um, brought in a force plate and we'll do calf testing. So we'll actually get some calf testing done. So how do you, you test your max strength? In a calf, you've got two ways. I'd go to a Smith's machine. Right? I'd uh, put your foot underneath it. I'd actually set up a video camera filming yourself. Right? That way you can see if your calf leans to the left, to the right, um, how high it is, and then work out the load that you can hold up for three seconds. Okay, And from that, then you can, when you add the load, then you've actually got a skills assessment of how well you're doing biomechanically doing that. Um, then you match those up and just measure that over time. So to give you an idea of um, what they're looking at, say at the elite world, so elite rugby, you three times your body weight, you should be able to. That's the force you produce. Can you do it on a Smith's machine? It'd be hard, but yeah, I've seen people do double their body weight holding for three seconds. Once you're getting up to that type of stuff, you know pretty well. Would you say for the people who don't have force, um, plates available in their current situation just doing that test without the force plates and just sort of using your your, your visual um, aspect of the coach just looking at it um, and saying okay that's that's pretty good and just like you said filming as well to see are you going straight up or you're leaning more um, one way than the other yeah i'd sit on a, a smith's machine um and then now i've done this when i've had calf and achilles problems um and if you don't have a smith's machine you can go to um, it, and you won't get a force measurement, but at least you'll get some idea. Is you set up the J hooks upside down on a 
on a on a rig and isometrically contract and just see how hard you can do. And if you want to have a weight measure, what you can actually do is put weight on it. So the J hooks are set up so you jam the weight up. You know that if they come down, you've, you're done and have that film. And that's the way you can measure it. Smith's machine or J hooks upside down with weight. Um, and it gives you an idea and just slowly build that up over time. Don't overdo it as well. Uh, you know, two, uh, three sets, three reps between three to five seconds. That's pretty good. That's, mm. that's enough. And you can do it just as part of your gym component. Awesome. And yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come back to also just testing a single leg calf raise on a, on a step, you know, just you can do it against the wall where your hands are against the wall, just supporting, not pushing weight into it and just, trying to see how many reps your athletes can do on both legs. And that has had some really good research behind it. Um, and I've also had some really good su success with it as well with just no basic equipment and it's just easy, straight feedback. Sweet. You got 15 reps. We need to build your calf strength endurance up because if you do get, you know, 25 reps and above, I'm confident that you're not going to have an injury in that area. And the players who have had some injuries in that area have gotten you know, scoring low numbers um, and hence the reason that they were getting um, injured in that area. And a calf's just not a thing we want to get injured. It sucks. It takes a while. It's a postural muscle. So you can't sort of hide when, when you're walking. When you walk, you feel it every single time. So we definitely want to avoid these types of injuries in sport because they can be a pain in the ass to get back. Yeah. So it's interesting. And probably you think of strength level. So what, you want the calf to isometrically contract at the right time to spread the load to the more of the um, elastic tissue like your Achilles and fascia and stuff. So it makes sense if you've got low capacity in uh, your calves for strength or isometric strength. Will it be your connective tissue or your Achilles that suffers or will it be your calf? It'll be your calf. So if you've got good capacity and so forth, and then you do high running load, well, your Achilles might suffer because you've given the work to your Achilles at your calf <laughs> as well. So, and that's a volume-based thing and sometimes just a, a sign that you're not recovering that one. Mm, 100%. And some other exercises that we probably didn't mention is, you know, a basic sled march um, or, you know, sled running, great for that, that calf complex adding in some basic farmer's walks as well. You know, you are walking, so you're getting a nice little calf contraction there. So, you know, doing something heavy like that is awesome as well. And then you probably don't realize, but when you're doing your single leg movements, like your step-ups, Bulgarians or lunges with like a nice calf raise, again, you're getting a really good calf contraction there and making sure that lower limb is nice and stable as well. So there's plenty of ways to sprinkle in um, this sort of calf, you know, conditioning or just calf strength um, work into your program yeah one thing that i've done a lot more for um and that's probably having access is a lot of sled stuff so the sled marching sled sprinting and sled pushing um yeah and fantastic and again there's vertical which is up and down and horizontal uh the sled stuff gets it in more in that plane for your acceleration and running mechanics the vertical stuff more for your higher speed type work the other thing is um we do a lot of single leg um, plyo work. So over hurdles, single leg. To spring up over, you're actually getting that calf to work really well. But then when you jump on the other side, it's um, your foot has to decelerate quickly, suddenly contract to get you back up. So you're actually getting a bit more work as well. You're actually adding that quick reaction work in, like skipping, and then you're forcing that demand onto one leg. Mm, 100%. And a term we probably haven't used yet is we're building stiffness you know we're building stiffness in that ankle and that calf region so just like you said it's it's a spring and when it comes to training and game day it it just works the way that we want to work and it's not wasting or leaking any energy in that area and you're able to maximize your performance out there yep absolutely and there's some really good research coming out of um ireland where they're doing isometric calf testing and so forth on so rugby players, so they've got a range um, with a bent knee seated position where 1.6 to anywhere the lighter backs two times your body weight goes through um, your calf. That's a pretty good score for normative data. And when they go into a standing position, they're able to produce the force of up to three times your body weight. And look, that makes perfect sense because when you're running, uh, you know, three up to seven times your body weight is going through your leg. So the fact that you can isometrically contract 
um, at the top end of a calf, three times your body weight is is good because you need that, but you're probably doing thousands of reps of that a week when you're running. Mm, 100%. So it's great to talk about all these different exercises, but what does it look like in a normal week um, for our coaches and athletes out there? How can they best program calf conditioning into their weekly programs? Yeah, be careful. Don't always, when you start, you, you, there's, a, there's the old saying, screaming or singing. So, you know, do you want a band that screams or do you want a band that's able to sing? So um, you don't have to absolutely smash them so they're screaming out, oh, you're doing so too much on me and I'm hurting. So for uh, the best way, um, add drilling into your warm-ups. That would be great. Then add the foot intrinsics that you talked about um, early in your presence and at the end of training because that gives you some form of conditioning for the more running load that will build up. Um, and a lot of things that are involved like step-ups, that type of work. Um, and we do a lot of work that, you know, Bosch has probably made it famous where we're coming up onto one leg dynamically so, and skipping. That would be the way I'd go. And then slowly bring in some single leg calf work or even some isometric calf. Um, and just remember, you don't have to do all of it all the time. You just wrinkle little bits. If you're doing drilling every warm up, if you're doing uh, one sort of calf conditioning type exercise per week, as you build up your running load, that's probably more than enough. How about you? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, adding all that, like making sure that you probably separate it between what you're going to do on the field for your calf conditioning and then what you're going to do in the gym for your calf conditioning. So out in the field, as you scared, uh, said, we got our drilling. We got our more plyometric work as well. Um, you can add all your pogo stuff out there and um, all that jazz and also your foot intrinsic stuff after training, like I've been doing with the Aussie Rules boys as a good way to cool down as well as, or as part of our cool down. In the gym, it's adding in some skipping as well. You know, start off with maybe it's just 20 seconds. Maybe 20 seconds is enough to cause some fatigue in that area because you don't want to over fatigue them and then they suffer in their gym session. And it's slowly accumulating that time over the weeks and months that you're doing. So it'd be adding that into the, the start of the, the gym session, adding in some sled stuff. I think just like we talk about all the time, sleds are highly underrated and that needs to be part of your program. And then just basic, you know, single leg calf raises on a step, just your body weight. You'll be surprised some athletes think they're quite good at this movement, but they're actually um, not as good as they thought. And it takes some time for them to actually achieve a good range up and down and then slowly add some load to it. You can start off with double leg, you know, change your different positions up. You can go bent knee. So you're getting that uh, more of that soleus as well and then it's also just looking at what are you doing with your other movements like like we said like your step ups your lunges your farmer's walks you're probably already getting enough load for that calf complex so be really mindful of that you're not overdoing it like we said because we don't want your athletes to pull up too sore and fatigue for their tra field training session um, after your heavy gym session so it's just slowly sprinkling it in seeing how they go seeing how each athlete recovers and then progressing them in a way that you think is, is suitable for your current situation and team. And over time, you'll be surprised how much you can program and how much your athletes can tolerate as well. Yep. I probably forgot to mention that do a lot of banded running to banded acceleration type work um, and, and solid acceleration under load um, at such as sled drags. But banded running and sled pushes make a, a massive difference. A lot of the time, if I do that, I, I probably don't look for as much isometric work or single leg calf work because I, you can just actually physically see whose calves collapse and whose don't. Yeah. When they're in there, if you look for someone when they're accelerating and they've uh, their, their calf complex, their heel drip dips to the ground, you know, they've got a, a, a calf stiffness or strength or power issue. So and then I go and talk to them and individually work on that. Hundred percent. And if these, if some exercises you just don't understand our terminology, please do go on our Instagram page because we have posted a lot of these. Or if you are just looking, or just just reach out and we I, we can easily send you some videos that we do have. Um, and do keep an eye out because we I'll probably post something very soon about the calf complex in terms of some stuff that we do. So the next part is what's going on at Elite Rugby SSC. We've got a couple of new things going on so we started a brand new blog this year as well so 
What can our followers and listeners expect from this blog, Ben? Uh, I'm trying to blend my experience and um, really basic research into giving you some uh, ways of thinking about things. So, for instance, this week I did one on uh, sort of looking at single leg um, work versus double leg work and mainly on the posterior chain and probably looking you know, a, a little skew there of, um, say, a Nordic versus single leg uh, hamstring work. And, you know, my leaning is towards, and I've learned this <laughs> through a lot of experiences, I like the single leg hamstring work because I can target the lower back glutes as well. Um, and then I can add rotation and different things. Well, with a Nordic, um, I did this a long time ago and I've done this on people. I did 10 sets of 10, right, on a Nordic. This is a great way to find out where a muscle targets. So uh, for me, uh, and I've seen it in people, you, when you do Nordics, your pelvis will, will rotate one way or the other, okay? You've probably seen that in people. Um, so I get medial pain down on my left um, and then uh, lateral pain on my right. The only two places I've ever done hamstrings is my medial <laughs> left <laughs> and lateral right. So um, sometimes with a Nordic, unless it's really programmed well or you're watching people, uh, it'll target what's already strong because the pelvis will determine that. Well, if you use a single leg type work, um, you can target the whole uh, posterior chain as a complex. So that way you can even get the firing patterns correct for that. Um, and it's just a way of taking a look at, you know, looking at there is some research out there, but actually having different views. So I'm just proposing ideas and trying to blend the experience and research. And sometimes it's just an opinion piece. And it's really just expressing things that I've learned or experiences and mistakes that I've made over many mm. years. No, it, it's definitely been a great resource. And definitely visit um, Elite Rugby SNC on our website and find all the blog posts there. And you can spend your time just, just reading along and, and hopefully you can learn from, from Ben and myself and then apply that, you know, or just make a slight adjustment or just say, yep, yeah, sweet. Thanks. You know, sharing, or, sharing a different opinion. Yeah. Or even critique and, dis and if you disagree, get in contact. Mm. But I have no problem. Like the more different views we understand, you know, um, I understand the cognitive bias exists and I stand for my cognitive bias. As soon as you pretend that you don't, then you're in, the world of her so mm. yeah happy for people to um disagree as well that's that's completely fine and i i, I welcome that um feedback as well 100 percent. so the podcast is continuing along with new episodes every week if you are listening right now you would know so every or every two weeks so sometimes we might not get it out every week but you know be patient you can always go back and listen to, to another episode that you really enjoyed so because sometimes we might just get too busy but we have a new subject this year on the podcast is what can we learn from other sports coaches and leaders? And we already had our first one this year with um, Olympic diving athlete, Annabelle Smith. So definitely keep an eye out for that because we, we want to expand this podcast, not just for, for rugby union as, it, as we have been quite dominant in the area, but we're also branching out to a rugby league. We've had Matt Frawley from the Raiders, Shannon Mateo from uh, the Gold Coast Titans come on. So we're definitely broadening this podcast out and we're going to get more coaches on as well and just really give you you know a free resource so that you can learn and listen from some of the best people that we know and um, some leaders in the world as well so definitely keep an, an eye out and a listen out and, and definitely share it um, as well to anyone that you think could um, gain to, to learn something from this podcast yeah so basically we're asking you to get around us like because you're part of our team and you know mm. just give us a shout out and get in contact if you've got some people that you'd want to um, have on the podcast or if, even if you've got some good athletes or coaches that you feel um, would be great for our listeners as well please get in contact yeah uh, like subscribe and, and share it goes a long way so um, definitely do that and we appreciate it if you already have done it or going to do it as well yeah Lovely. so currently we're working on a three-month speed and conditioning program so definitely keep an eye out on that but you know ben how important is speed and conditioning for uh, rugby athletes out there well, you know, I had a, an old coach back in uh, the 90s, a guy called um, Chris Hickey. He was pretty good. I think he was a Waratahs coach in Australian under-21s coach. Um, everywhere he went, he won premierships. So he was a pretty good coach. And he started the world as an SNC coach. Yes. Um, you can have really strong people 
right? You can have really skillful people, but if they're not fast in conditioning, the conditioning world, you don't have a team that'll win. That's basically it. Yep. If you can't, <laughs> that's it's as simple as it is. Without speed and conditioning, you will not be good at a team sport. It's a fundamental. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. I'm in the final stages of completing this. Has taken a little bit of time, but once this product is out, I'm really looking forward to you, the, the listener and the person who's going to purchase the program to see the benefits of it. And everything that we've talked about today is in that program as well in terms of the calf conditioning. It's, it's just going to make you a lot faster, you know, well-conditioned athlete, and you're going to reap the rewards from this program. Yeah, and we'll take full credit for your improvement as well. <laughs> So lastly, we're also currently writing up a document for rugby clubs and organizations out there that we can provide strength conditioning programs for your rugby club as well. You can subscribe to Elite Rugby SNC. Um, if you have a rugby club or you're part of a rugby club that doesn't have a, a strength conditioning program, please reach out and we can provide our services to you and to the whole team as well. Yeah, and rugby league as well. Um, any rugby league or union team. And look, we understand that sometimes just don't have those resources or that um, don't have the the ability to have someone there. So let let, let us help and um, make sure that all your athletes are, you know, fit and conditioned and strong and uh, available each weekend and you get to dominate. Yeah, 100%. So that's everything that we're talking about today. Thanks for joining me, Ben. It's been a really good conversation to understand what's going on in, in our world, you know, learning about a topic of calf conditioning and then also talking about the exciting things happening here at Elite Rugby SNC. So thanks for joining me today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. There's no better way to spend a Sunday morning. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify and YouTube and make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to come a beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level. We'll